Robinson Crusoe, Part 9. This recording, copyright Candlelight Stories, Inc., available at candlelightstories.com. Narrated by Alessandro Chima. A Candlelight Stories audio production. The Life and Strange, Surprising Adventures of Robinson Crusoe of York, Mariner by Daniel Defoe After this I spent a deal of time and pains to make me an umbrella. I was indeed in great want of one, and had a great mind to make one. I had seen them made in the Brazils, where they are very useful in the great heats which are there, and I felt the heats every jot as great here, and greater too, being nearer the equinox. Besides, as I was obliged to be much abroad, it was a most useful thing to me, as well for the rains as the heats. I took a world of pains at it, and was a great while before I could make anything likely to hold. Nay, after I thought I had hit the way, I spoiled two or three before I made one to my mind. But at last I made one, that answered indifferently well. The main difficulty, I found, was to make it to let down. I could make it to spread— but if it did not let down too and draw in, it would not be portable for me anyway, but just over my head, which would not do. However, at last, as I said, I made one to answer. I covered it with skins, the hair upwards, so that it cast off the rain like a penthouse, and kept off the sun so effectually that I could walk out in the hottest of the weather, with greater advantage than I could before in the coolest, and when I had no need of it, I would close it and carry it under my arm. Thus I lived mighty comfortably, my mind being entirely composed by resigning to the will of God, and throwing myself wholly upon the disposal of his providence. I cannot say that after this, for five years, any extraordinary thing happened to me. But I lived on in the same course, in the same posture and place, just as before. The chief thing I was employed in, besides my yearly labor of planting my barley and rice, and curing my raisins, of both which I always kept up just enough to have sufficient stock of the year's provisions beforehand. I say, besides this yearly labor, and my daily labor of going out with my gun, I had one labor to make me a canoe, which at last I finished, so that by digging a canal to it six feet wide and four feet deep, I brought it into the creek almost half a mile. However, though my little periagua was finished, yet the size of it was not at all answerable to the design which I had in view when I made the first. I mean of venturing over to the terra firma, where it was above forty miles broad. Accordingly, the smallness of my boat assisted to put an end to that design, and now I thought no more of it. But as I had a boat, my next design was to make a tour round the island. For as I had been on the other side in one place crossing, as I have already described it, over the land, so the discoveries I made in that journey made me very eager to see other parts of the coast, and now I had a boat. I thought of nothing but sailing round the island. For this purpose, and that I might do everything with discretion and consideration, I fitted up a little mast to my boat, and made a sail to it out of some of the pieces of the ship's sails, which lay in store, and of which I had a great store by me. Having fitted my mast and sail and tried the boat, I found she would sail very well. Then I made little lockers and boxes at each end of my boat to put provisions, necessaries, and ammunition, etc., into, to be kept dry, either from rain or the spray of the sea, and a little long hollow place I cut in the inside of the boat, where I could lay my gun, making a flap to hang down over it to keep it dry. I fixed my umbrella also in a step at the stern, like a mast to stand over my head, and keep the heat of the sun off me, like an awning. 
and thus I every now and then took a little voyage upon the sea, but never went far out, nor far from the little creek. But at last, being eager to view the circumference of my little kingdom, I resolved upon my tour, and accordingly I victualled my ship for the voyage, putting in two dozen of my loaves, cakes, I should rather call them, of barley bread, an earthen pot full of parched rice, a food I ate a great deal of, a little bottle of rum, half a goat, and powder, with shot for killing more, and two large watch-coats, of those which, as I mentioned before, I had saved out of the seamen's chests. These I took, one to lie upon, and the other to cover me in the night. It was the sixth of November, in the sixth year of my reign, or my captivity, which you please, that I set out on this voyage, and I found it much longer than I expected. For though the island itself was not very large, yet when I came to the east side of it, I found a great ledge of rocks lie out about two leagues into the sea, some above water, some under it, and beyond this a shoal of sand, lying dry half a league more, so that I was obliged to go a great way out to sea to double that point. When I first discovered them, I was going to give over my enterprise and come back again, not knowing how far it might oblige me to go out to sea, and above all, doubting how I should get back again. So I came to an anchor, for I had made me a kind of an anchor with a piece of broken grappling which I got out of the ship. Having secured my boat, I took my gun and went on shore, climbing up a hill, which seemed to overlook that point, where I saw the full extent of it and resolved to venture. In my viewing the sea from that hill where I stood, I perceived a strong and indeed a most furious current which ran to the east and even came close to the point, and I took the more notice of it because I saw there might be some danger that when I came into it I might be carried out to sea by the strength of it and not be able to make the island again, and indeed, had I not gotten first upon this hill I believe it would have been so, for there was the same current on the other side of the island, only that it set it off at a farther distance, and I saw there was a strong eddy under the shore, so I had nothing to do but to get out of the first current and I should presently be in an eddy. I lay here, however, two days, because the wind blowing pretty fresh east at southeast, and that being just contrary to the said current, made a great breach of the sea upon the point, so that it was not safe for me to keep too close to the shore for the breach, nor to go too far off because of the stream. The third day in the morning, the wind having abated overnight, the sea was calm, and I ventured. But I am a warning piece again to all rash and ignorant pilots, for no sooner was I come to the point when I was not my boat's length from the shore, but I found myself in a great depth of water and a current like the sluice of a mill. It carried my boat along with it with such violence that all I could do could not keep her so much as on the edge of it. But I found it hurried me farther and farther out from the eddy, which was on the left hand. There was no wind stirring to help me, and all that I could do with my paddle signified nothing. And now I began to give myself over for lost, for, as the current was on both sides of the island, I knew, in a few leagues' distance, they must join again, and then I was irrecoverably gone, nor did I see any possibility of avoiding it, so that I had no prospect before me but of perishing, not by the sea, for that was calm enough, but of starving for hunger. I had indeed found a tortoise on the shore, as big almost as I could lift, and had tossed it into the boat, and I had a great jar of fresh water, that is to say, one of my earthen pots, but what was all this to being driven into the vast ocean, where, to be sure, there was no shore, no mainland or island, for a thousand leagues at least? And now I saw how easy it was for the providence of God to make the most miserable condition that mankind could be in worse. 
Now I looked back upon my desolate solitary island as the most pleasant place in the world, and that all the happiness my heart could wish for was to be there again. I stretched out my hands to it with eager wishes. Oh, happy desert, said I. I shall never see thee more. Oh, miserable creature, said I. Whither am I going? Then I reproached myself with my unthankful temper, and how I had repined at my solitary condition. And now, what would I give to be on shore there again? Thus we never see the true state of our condition, till it is illustrated to us by its contraries, nor know how to value what we enjoy but by the want of it. It is scarce possible to imagine the consternation I was now in, being driven from my beloved island, for so it appeared to me now to be, into the wild ocean, almost two leagues, and in the utmost despair of ever recovering it again. However, I worked hard, till indeed my strength was almost exhausted, and kept my boat as much to the northward, that is, towards the side of the current which the eddy lay on, as possibly I could, when about noon, as the sun passed the meridian, I thought I felt a little breeze of wind in my face, springing up from the south-southeast. This cheered my heart a little, and especially when in about half an hour more it blew a pretty small, gentle gale. By this time I was gotten at a frightful distance from the island, and had the least cloud or hazy weather intervened, I had been undone another way too, for I had no compass on board, and should never have known how to have steered towards the island, if I had but once lost sight of it. But the weather continuing clear, I applied myself to get up my mast again, and spread my sail, standing away to the north as much as possible to get out of the current. Just as I had set my mast and sail and the boat began to stretch away, I saw, even by the clearness of the water, some alteration of the current was near. For where the current was so strong, the water was foul, but perceiving the water clear, I found the current abate, and presently I found to the east, at about half a mile, a breach of the sea upon some rocks. These rocks, I found, caused the current to part again, and as the main stress of it ran away more southerly, leaving the rocks to the northeast, so the other returned by the repulse of the rock, and made a strong eddy, which ran back again to the northwest with a very sharp stream. They who know what it is to have a reprieve brought to them upon the ladder, or to be rescued from thieves just going to murder them, or who have been in such like extremities may guess what my present surprise of joy was, and how gladly I put my boat into the stream of this eddy, and the wind also freshening how gladly I spread my sail to it, running cheerfully before the wind, and with a strong tide or eddy underfoot. This eddy carried me about a league in my way back again directly towards the island but about two leagues more towards the northward than the current lay, which carried me away at first, so that when I came near the island, I found myself open to the northern shore of it, that is to say, the other end of the island, opposite to that which I went out from. When I had made something more than a league of way by the help of this current or eddy, I found it was spent and served me no further. However, I found that being between the two great currents, namely, that on the south side which had hurried me away, and that on the north which lay about two leagues on the other side, I say between these two, in the west of the island, I found the water at least still, and running no way, and having still a breeze of wind fair for me, I kept on steering directly for the island, though not making such fresh way as I did before. About four o'clock in the evening, being then within about a league of the island, I stretched across this eddy, slanting northwest, and in about an hour came within about a mile of the shore, 
it being smooth water, I soon got to land. When I was on shore, I fell on my knees and gave God thanks for my deliverance, resolving to lay aside all thoughts of my deliverance by my boat, and refreshing myself with such things as I had, I brought my boat close to the shore in a little cove that I had espied under some trees, and lay me down to sleep, being quite spent with the labor and fatigue of the voyage. I was now at a great loss. Which way to get home with my boat? I had run so much hazard, and knew too much the case to think of attempting it by the way I went out, and what might be at the other side, I mean the west side, I knew not, nor had I any mind to run any more ventures, so I only resolved in the morning to make my way westward along the shore, and to see if there was no creek where I might lay up my frigate in safety, so as to have her again if I wanted her. In about three miles, or thereabouts, coasting the shore, I came to a very good inlet, or bay, about a mile over, which narrowed till it came to a very little rivulet, or brook, where I found a convenient harbour for my boat, and where she lay as if she had been in a little dock made on purpose for her. Here I put in, and having stowed my boat very safe, I went on shore to look about me and see where I was. I soon found I had but a little passed by the place where I had been before when I travelled on foot to that shore. So taking nothing out of my boat but my gun and my umbrella, for it was exceeding hot, I began my march. The way was comfortable enough after such a voyage as I had been upon, and I reached my old bower in the evening, where I found everything standing as I left it, for I always kept it in good order, being, as I said before, my country house. I got over the fence and laid me down in the shade to rest my limbs, for I was very weary and fell asleep. But judge you, if you can, that read my story, what a surprise I must be in when I was wakened out of my sleep by a voice, calling me by my name several times, Robin, Robin, Robin Crusoe, poor Robin Crusoe, where are you, Robin Crusoe, where are you, where have you been? I was so dead asleep, at first, being fatigued with rowing or paddling, as it is called, the first part of the day, and walking the latter part, that I did not awake thoroughly, and dozing between sleeping and waking, thought I dreamed that somebody spoke to me, but as the voice continued to repeat, Robin Crusoe, Robin Crusoe, at last I began to awake more perfectly, and was at first dreadfully frighted and started up in the utmost consternation. But no sooner were my eyes open, but I saw my Paul sitting on the top of the hedge, and immediately knew that this was he that spoke to me for just in such bemoaning language I had used to talk to him and teach him, and he had learned it so perfectly that he would sit upon my finger and lay his bill close to my face and cry, Poor Robin Crusoe, where are you? Where have you been? How came you here? And such things as I had taught him. However, even though I knew it was the parrot, and that indeed it could be nobody else, it was a good while before I could compose myself. First, I was amazed how the creature got thither, and then how he should just keep about the place and nowhere else. But as I was well satisfied it could be nobody but honest Paul, I got it over, and holding out my hand, calling him by his name, Paul, the sociable creature came to me and sat upon my thumb, as he used to do, and continued talking to me, poor Robin Crusoe, and how did I come here, and where had I been, just as if he had been overjoyed to see me again, and so I carried him home along with me. I had enough of rambling to see, for some time, 
and enough to do for many days to sit still and reflect upon the danger I had been in. I would have been very glad to have had my boat again on my side of the island, but I knew not how it was practicable to get it about. As to the east side of the island, which I had gone round, I knew well enough there was no venturing that way. My very heart would shrink and my very blood run chill, but to think of it, and as to the other side of the island, I did not know how it might be there, but supposing the current ran with the same force against the shore at the east as it passed by it on the other, I might run the same risk of being driven down the stream and carried by the island, as I had been before of being carried away from it. So with these thoughts I contented myself to be without any boat, though it had been the product of many months' labor to make it, and of so many more to get it into the sea. In this government of my temper I remained near a year, lived a very sedate, retired life, as you may well suppose, and my thoughts being very much composed as to my condition and fully comforted in resigning myself to the dispensations of providence, I thought I lived really very happily in all things except that of society. I improved myself in this time in all the mechanic exercises which my necessities put me upon applying myself to, and I believe could, upon occasion, have made a very good carpenter, especially considering how few tools I had. Besides this, I arrived at an unexpected perfection in my earthenware, and contrived well enough to make them with a wheel, which I found infinitely easier and better, because I made things round and shapeable, which before were filthy things indeed to look on. But I think I never was more vain of my own performance or more joyful for anything I found out than for my being able to make a tobacco pipe. And though it was a very ugly, clumsy thing when it was done, and only burnt red like other earthenware, yet, as it was very hard and firm and would draw the smoke, I was exceedingly comforted with it, for I had always been used to smoke, and there were pipes in the ship, but I forgot them at first, not knowing there was tobacco on the island, and afterwards, when I searched the ship again, I could not come at any pipes at all. In my wickerware I also improved much and made abundance of necessary baskets, as well as my invention showed me, though not very handsome, yet convenient for my laying things up in or fetching things home in. For example, if I killed a goat abroad, I could hang it up in a tree, flay it and dress it and cut it in pieces, and bring it home in a basket, and the like by a turtle. I could cut it up, take out the eggs and a piece or two of the flesh, which was enough for me, and bring them home in a basket, and leave the rest behind me. Also, large, deep baskets were my receivers for my corn, which I always rubbed out as soon as it was dry and cured, and kept it in great baskets instead of a granary. I began now to perceive my powder abated, considerably, and this was a want which it was impossible for me to supply. Then I began, seriously, to consider what I must do when I should have no more powder, that is to say, how should I do to kill any goats? I had, as I observed, in the third year of my being here, kept a young kid and bred her tame. I was in hopes of getting a he-kid, but I could not by any means bring it to pass, till my kid grew an old goat, and I could never find in my heart to kill her, till she died at last of mere age. But being now in the eleventh year of my residence, and, as I have said, my ammunition growing low, I set myself to study some art to trap and snare the goats, to see whether I could not catch some of them alive, and particularly I wanted a she-goat, great with young. To this purpose I made snares to hamper them, and believe they were more than once taken in them. But my tackle was not good, for I had no wire, and always found them broken, and my bait devoured. At length I resolved to try a pitfall. 
so I dug several large pits in the earth, in places where I had observed the goats used to feed, and over these pits I placed hurdles of my own making, too, with a great weight upon them, and several times I put ears of barley and dry rice without setting the trap, and I could easily perceive that the goats had gone in and eaten up the corn, for I could see the marks of their feet. At length I set three traps in one night, and going the next morning I found them all standing, and yet the bait eaten and gone. This was very discouraging. However, I altered my trap, and, not to trouble you with particulars, going one morning to see my traps, I found in one of them a large old he-goat, and, in one of the others, three kids, a male, and two females. As to the old one, I knew not what to do with him. He was so fierce I durst not go into the pit to him, that is to say, to bring him away alive, which was what I wanted, I could have killed him, but that was not my business, nor would it answer my end. So I e'en let him out, and he ran away as if he had been frightened out of his wits. But I did not then know what I afterwards learned, that hunger would tame a lion. If I had let him stay there three or four days without food, and then have carried him some water to drink, and then a little corn, he would have been as tame as one of the kids, for they are mighty sagacious tractable creatures where they are well used. However, for the present I let him go knowing no better at that time. Then I went to the three kids, and taking them one by one, I tied them with strings together, and with some difficulty brought them all home. A Candlelight Stories audio production.